Well, how many people、uh, love to wait in lineups in the grocery store? Okay, good for you. How many love waiting in traffic and construction zones? Love that. We got okay, one for each. You guys should talk after the service. Anyone love being put on hold and waiting while crackly '90s adult contemporary music plays on the phone and yeah, speaks to you in your ear? Well, if you love any of those things, then you'll love today's message on waiting patiently for the Lord. But if you don't love waiting and being patient,、uh, then you may not love today's message as much. But it means you definitely need to hear it,、uh, and I know I do. Today's text and message is about discernment and patience. How to discern God's voice and God's plan for your life, and how to then wait patiently for the Lord and His timing in that plan. So, in chapters twenty-four to twenty-six, you have basically the same type of story three times that illustrate the same points. Or lesson, which is why we've put them together. So let me briefly summarize those stories before、uh, diving into application for our life. So three stories, but really one point in First Samuel twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six. So there's one story per chapter, which all follow this similar pattern. In chapter twenty-four, which Paul just read some of, in somewhat of a, a humorous story,、uh, Saul is out searching for David, and he has to use the bathroom. And he unknowingly uses David's cave, the person he's searching for, as the spot to relieve himself. And you know, in Israel, these caves are huge, right? You can fit hundreds of people in some of these caves. And David and his men are far back in the cave, and they see this unfolding. And in verse four, they're like, "Dude, David, can you believe this? Look how God has delivered Saul into your hands." To do what you want with, just as he promised, the day of victory is here. There's just one problem with their enthusiasm. There's no record of God actually ever saying this. David's friends are seeing what they want to see, but David is more discerning, and his attitude is different. He says to Saul in verse ten, "You know,、uh, my posse here—they told me to kill you, but I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. For now, you know, God has you as king, and I'm going to leave it in God's hands, and I'm going to wait until the Lord decides that it's my time." I mean, wow! Right? What incredible maturity and discernment and patience. Displayed by David here, and then in chapter twenty-five, the same thing happens with Nabal, who is sort of meant to represent the foolishness of Saul, and and once again tests David's restraint, restraint and willingness to let God be judge. And again, David's men around him are ready to kill this dude the first chance they get. And at first, David is on board too, but then the Lord sends a wise woman, Abigail. The wife of Nabal, and she steps in and basically says in verses twenty-eight through thirty-one of chapter twenty-five, she says, "You know, my husband Nabal, he's an idiot,、uh, and 
the, the word Nabal actually means fool, so I'm not kind of making that up. And she says, don't take this easy bait. Let the Lord deal with him and trust that God will exalt you in due time, and then you won't have the guilt of innocent bloodshed on your conscience. I mean, no wonder David ends up marrying her. This is a pretty wise woman. And in listening to Abigail and exercising patience and letting God be judge, the Lord actually strikes Nabal dead 10 days later and gives Nabal's wise widow, Abigail, to David as his wife. So, exercising patience sort of worked out there for David. And then lastly, we find a similar story again in chapter 26 where David and his men find Saul sleeping with his spear next to him and have an easy chance to kill him. And David is again encouraged by his men to take matters into his own hands and rid of Saul, establish himself as king. Let's make this thing happen now. And they again interpret it as God delivering Saul into David's hands. But what does David say? David says, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come, and he will die. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So that's the gist of the three stories that are sort of meant to be read together as a whole. So what are we to learn here? I mean, it was important enough for the Lord who inspired the Word to tell all three of these stories in order to drive home some lessons for us. For as the New Testament tells us, these Old Testament stories are here for our instruction. So what do they instruct? Well, I want to focus in on two things <clears throat> from these stories. I want to talk about David's discerning discernment in the desert, and then also David's waiting in the wilderness. And it's because David does these two things that God will eventually exalt him. And it's a part of what makes David, despite his many faults, a man after God's own heart. So first, David exercises godly discernment, even in the desert experience of his life. So discernment in the desert. Like we talked about last week, remember David's situation, right? He's done everything right. And yet he still ends up wandering in the deserts, living in caves. I mean, it seems so unfair. Like, surely David deserves better, right? Well, that's how his friends feel, for sure. When they see the opportunity to kill Saul, they say to David, Dave, this is, this is obviously God's will. Look at how the Lord has given him into your hands. David's friends not only offer bad advice, advice contrary to God's words, but to make matters worse, they play the God card. They say, God is doing this. Church, well-meaning friends will offer you advice contrary to God's words. And we have to be armed with confidence in what God is saying and has said in His Word and be able to discern these voices that will lead us astray. David's friends see this shortcut, right? An easy road to God's ultimate plan, and they want to take it. They want to skip the hard stuff, the testing, the molding, the shaping of one's character that takes place in the cave like we talked about last week. 
They're like, this is it, David. Our ticket out of the cave has arrived. But David doesn't bite. Church, the competing voices to the actual voice of God are many and are often loud. Well, what do these voices sound like? Well, the voice of the world and from many of our friends will tell us things like, you go get yours, right? You, you do you. Be who you want to be. Get out of that marriage and live your life. Make sure your kids have everything they possibly want. Take that promotion even if it takes you away from your family. Don't listen to your parents. Absolutely, you should buy that dream house, do that renovation, buy that 85-inch 4K smart TV. I mean, it is on sale, after all. Live your life. Go for it. God wants to bless you. For sure, you should post that bitter rant on social media. Let the world know your anger. And they will like it. And on and on we could go. And it's so hard when people are often telling us things that our flesh wants to hear, just like it is for David here. I mean, here's his chance to be, gain, to be king, to go from the desert to a diadem, from the cave to the crown. Why wouldn't you do this, David? But David listens and answers to a higher authority. And he is able to discern the voice of God from these competing voices and expectations of others. And this is so hard to do because our capacity for self-deception is just so strong. And like David's men here, we think what we want to think. We see kind of what we want to see sometimes. We hear what we want to hear. But what separates David is he's able to sift through these loud and competing voices, and stay focused on what God wants and patiently wait for God's plan to unfold. And this kind of discernment, of course, is especially hard when we're in the desert of our lives, for that's when we're often looking for that quick fix, that change in our circumstances the way David's men do here. But the lesson is that David could have taken the easy road to kingship, and no one would have protested. But he was able to discern between competing voices, and in his integrity, he knew in his heart it was not the right thing to do or the Lord's plan. And so the other lesson we learned from David here is to learn to wait even in the wilderness. Again, put yourself in David's shoes. Follow the advice of your friends around you. Kill Saul. Be a hero. Ascend to the throne as God's chosen king. Or continue to hang out in caves in the desert wilderness. Seems like an easy choice, right? But David knows that taking the shortcut, going for the immediate gratification instead of patiently awaiting God's plan, may feel right in the moment, may be popular among his friends, but in the long run will lead to more problems and more pain. 
But the truth is, we often, we don't want to wait, right? We are an immediate gratification society. We're in a hurry for a quick fix. We want it all now. Eugene Peter calls it a, a tourist mentality that we've adopted for everything in life. Meaning, you know, just give me the highlights, right? Show me the good stuff. Don't take me to the poverty and pain in this city. Take me on a tour of the palaces and ocean views and people living the high life. And, you know, it's okay to go on holiday and unwind and relax and hide out. We have to do this uh, sometimes for our sanity. What I'm saying and what Peterson is saying here is often when we take this approach to everything in life, we want all the highs. So I come to a church and I want the good feelings. I want the Sunday morning good vibes, but don't make me talk to anyone awkward or who's always struggling and crying. Please don't ask me to be in a life group where I can't be anonymous. I have to navigate people's opinions, prepare for the Bible study. Worst of all, don't ask me to give. I just want to receive and be blessed. Or I enter into a marriage and you know, I just want the good stuff, right? I want the fireworks, the romance, good sex, lots of vacations, someone to serve me, but don't ask me to do the hard stuff, like working on my weaknesses, being patient with my spouse's idiosyncrasies, dealing patiently with their mental illness, going to counseling together, helping the kids with their homework, Sacrifice my own dreams to support my spouse's dreams. I mean, I just want the fun without the hard work. Or we can't really afford that new car or that furniture, and God isn't really asking us to do it, but I can get the financing, and sure, it would be nice to have. I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to take on debt, but everyone else around me is doing it. We want things now, and we don't want to patiently wait for them especially not in the desert, whether that be the years it really takes to put down roots in a church and get into deep relationships, which is hard sometimes, or waiting patiently for the right spouse or the right person rather than settling for someone who's not a Christian because we just don't want to be alone and we want to feel wanted, or waiting until we actually have the money for something. See, David had the option not to wait, to skip all the hard steps and just take matters into his own hands, become king now by killing Saul. So what if it's not God's idea or best plan, his perfect will? It's kind of roughly still what he wants and is going to happen sooner or later. But instead, David exercises faith, even if it involves waiting in the wilderness. He exercises patience in God's plan even amidst the pain of his current circumstances. I mean, what David anticipated for life, even what he was promised by God, surely looked nothing like this, right? I mean, hiding in caves? Surviving in the desert? What? Wasn't I just anointed king by Samuel like months ago? What's going on here? What happened? And you can imagine how appealing this shortcut presented to David was, even if he knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. 
See, when we're in the cave of life, when we're out in the wilderness deserts, we tend to look for shortcuts, the easy way out, right? Quit that job, leave that marriage, burn bridges in that relationship, leave that church, play the lottery, run away from God, be or do something different, be free, take the easy road, avoid anything to avoid the waiting in the wilderness. But church, my friends, who I love and care for deeply, I can stand on pretty firm biblical grounds and say with confidence that if you want to live a life of any significance and make an impact for the kingdom of God, you will go through a period of waiting in the wilderness. And we could go through so many biblical examples. I mean, before Moses could lead Israel out of exile and into the Exodus, be the hero, he himself first experienced his own exile, 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd before God was like, all right, now you're ready. Before Joseph makes it to one of the top posts in Egypt and into the palace, he's left for dead in the desert by his jealous brothers, spends time in a pit, and then in a prison, falsely accused, mind you, awaiting God's deliverance. And Joseph's perspective sort of sums it all up here in Genesis 50, verse 20, when he says, you intended to harm me to his brothers. But he says, but God intended it, it being the waiting in the wilderness, the, the pit and the prison of life. He says, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now finally being done after waiting in the wilderness, the saving of many lives. What a perspective of faith in God's sovereignty. And of course, just like last week with the cave, ultimately, we look no further than Jesus for our example. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus was actually led by the Spirit. It was a part of God's plan. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For what? To be tested or to be tempted, it says. You can read the account in Matthew 4. And Jesus faces the exact same temptations as David. It's a fascinating parallel. He has to learn how to discern what is the voice of the enemy, even if it sounds appealing. He has the opportunity to take matters into his own hands. He's tempted with wealth and influence and power and riches. But thankfully for us, Jesus didn't take any shortcuts. He didn't take the easy road. He knew it wasn't yet his time, although his time would come just like it eventually does come for David. But like David, Jesus entrusts himself to the Father's plan for his life, which was a much harder road, a road that kept him waiting in the wilderness, discerning in the deserts, and a road that eventually led to the cross, but also to glory. And sometimes we just have to say, you know, God is God. <laughs> and I am not. And there are some things beyond my understanding. Sometimes we have to say, I really don't understand why I'm backed into the cave. 
I am forced to dwell in the desert or wander in the wilderness, but I do know God is good. And I trust Him. And that will have to be enough for now while I wait. The band's going to come to help us respond. Do you know what maybe the most repeated phrase in the Psalms is, most of which David wrote? It's, how long? How long, O Lord, must I wait over and over again? And I know many of you feel you're in the, the deep dark of the cave or wandering in the wilderness, wondering how long, Lord, must I wait? But the question is, how will we respond as we wait? What will you do? Because we can wallow in self-pity. We can become bitter inside. We can look for a way to numb the pain. We can run for an escape. Or we can worship while we wait in the wilderness. So allow this song to minister to you as you tell the Lord, while I wait in the wilderness, like David, I will worship. <laughs>